Hey, friends, we won't be taking calls today. Sit back and enjoy this pre-recorded show. Rabbi Jesus? I mean, shouldn't we call him Reverend, like, like Reverend Christ? After all, he founded Christianity, right? It's time for The Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown, your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Michael Brown is the director of the Coalition of Conscience and president of Fire School of Ministry. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. That's 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Thanks for joining us, friends, on the Line of Fire broadcast. Michael Brown, so glad to be with you on this Thursday, thoroughly Jewish Thursday, where we focus on things related to Israel, related to the Jewish people, related to reaching out to the Jewish people with the good news of Messiah. I'm not going to be taking calls today. I, I want to get in a, a lot of content. So this, this is going to be a day where we, we go through the scriptures and give you some insights as to why in the New Testament Jesus is called rabbi. But please write this number down. You can call it throughout the broadcast. You can call it right after the show as well. 1-800-278-9978. Please write that down. 1-800-278-9978. Throughout the broadcast, I'm asking you to sow into our Jewish ministry outreach to hold my hands up as we are on the front lines of reaching Jewish people with the gospel. I'm also asking you to please pray with me, especially these next 10 days. Pray with me for grace and anointing as, as I have a major writing deadline to get out what I believe will be the best outreach tool we've ever produced. The, the number one chance of a Jewish person that wants to find out more about who this Jesus Yeshua really is. And, and it's, uh, I'll, I'll tell you more about it very shortly. I'm eager to give out the details, but please pray. And if you believe in what we're doing, I want to remind you, especially if you haven't been listening in a while, that uh, as we have major radio obligations to meet, and upon meeting those, the opportunity to continue to expand, the potential to expand into more and more cities all over America, uh, we have a, a generous gift that will come our way from an anonymous donor, up to $40,000 that can be sewn into this work, where, where by every dollar that comes in becomes a dollar fifty. Every hundred dollars becomes a hundred fifty dollars. So someone is going to supplement what you give and turn it into more money and, and a major focus of what we do here on the line of fire is Jewish ministry, Jewish outreach. Uh, we, we equip people to to reach other Jews with the gospel. We help Jewish believers be strong in the faith and we reach Jewish people who've never heard, who don't know the Lord with a major release of a lot of our material coming very soon in Hebrew by God's grace to circulate all over Israel. So, so into what we're doing and can I appeal to every pastor listening? How much of your budget do you put into Jewish ministry, Jewish outreach? I mean, Paul did say that the gospel is God's power, power to salvation, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, also to the Gentile. I, I don't believe that he meant simply historically that that's how it happened, that first the gospel went to Jewish people and after that to Gentiles, because Paul continued that pattern, whatever city he went into, even if he got rejected in the last, he'd go into the next city and he'd bring the message to Jewish people first and then after that he would if there were jewish people in the city that's where he would start even if you don't read the scripture that way the fact is this is very very important to god's heart reaching jewish people with the good news of their own messiah would you not agree and it's a certain spiritual 
debt that every believer has because this is Israel's Messiah, Israel's God, is Israel's holy book, the Bible, Israel's apostles, Israel's prophets that, that, that we're talking about. And yet the nation of Israel, the people of Israel, by and large, remain lost sheep and need to hear the good news. So, uh, so, so from your missions budget into our work, put us on your missions budget on a regular basis. You'll, you'll never make a better investment in terms of making a difference for the kingdom. So the number again, 1-800-278-9978, 1-800-278-9978. It is true uh, from, from all the historical documents of which I am aware and early Jewish sources that the first one in recorded history who was ever called rabbi is Jesus Yeshua. And the other one was John the Baptist, Rabbi John the Baptist, or some like to call him John the Immerser, or some like to call him Yochanan Hamat Beal. Back to the The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get into the Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. All right, we are talking today on the Line of Fire about Rabbi Jesus, Rabbi Yeshua. Is it right to say that he was a rabbi? Is it wrong to say he founded Christianity? Do the two things go hand in hand or are they in contradiction? To what extent can he be placed historically as a first century rabbi? It's Thursday, thoroughly Jewish Thursday here on the Line of Fire. Wednesday, we focus on the world. Tuesday, teaching. Monday, my musings. Friday, you've got questions. We've got answers. Thursday, thoroughly Jewish Thursday. So what I want to do, I'm not going to be taking calls today, but again, please write down this number. And throughout the broadcast, I encourage you, I urge you to call in, stand with us, look at this as kind of a, a, a radiothon instead of a telethon, as we're asking everyone that's blessed by this broadcast to sow in with a gift, large or small, that will then be multiplied through the gift of an anonymous donor, a friend of a friend, one 800 278 9978-1-800-278-9978. Online, askdrbrown.org. You can stand with us right on the homepage, askdrbrown.org. Quite a number of times in the Gospels, Jesus is called rabbi. And John the Immerser, his older cousin, was called rabbi. So chronologically, John the Immerser, John the Baptist would have been, I'd laugh because it sounds funny, Rabbi John the Baptist, right? Uh, it, it would be like saying uh, Muhammad uh, in Islam instead of Muhammad the prophet, uh, Muhammad the, the Christian priest or something like that. It sounds like we're mixing religions, but again, that reminds us of how far we have departed from the Jewish roots of the faith. But chronologically, John the Immerser was, was called Rabbi before Jesus was, but as recorded in Scripture, it is mentioned that Jesus is called Rabbi. First, you have it in, in John 1. Now, what did it mean? It was not a formal position. The, the formal position, or I should say the ordained, recognized position of Rabbi, someone who received what's called smicha, which is ordination, but which literally means the, the laying on of hands. That formal recognition did not happen until after the second temple was destroyed. So after the year 70 and therefore 40 years minimal after the time of Jesus. 
or I should say 40 after the time of Jesus. But rabbi was, was a term of, of honor, a term of, of recognition, a term of esteem. So someone would be called rabbi. Many times in the New Testament, we see Jesus called teacher. That would be an equivalent to rabbis, literally my master, my teacher, not master in terms of slave, but master in terms of a, of a gifted teacher that was looked to, that people would follow. So without question, Jesus, the Jew, was a rabbi. Not a rabbi in terms of a contemporary congregational leader, but a rabbi in terms of, in that generation, someone that would be looked at as a popular teacher that would gather disciples around him. Now, there is a quote that it's it's actually fairly well known in Jewish circles, perhaps in older Jewish scholarship earlier this century, you'd see it more. But it comes from Julius Wellhausen. He, he was a German Bible critic. He lived from 1844 to 1918. And he's most famous in Old Testament circles for developing a particular theory of the authorship of the Pentateuch, the, the five books of Moses that were really not from Moses, according to Wellhausen. There were other German scholars who had some of these views before him, and then he fully developed it. So, so it's a very famous critical Bible theory. And, and Wellhausen was, was no friend of ancient Judaism. He was not one that was enthralled with ancient Judaism. To, to him, the, the law, the Pentateuch, that, that represented a lower level of spirituality, all the laws and things like that. So he did not have what you would say was a high view of ancient Judaism, or you could say Judaism in general. By the way, for those that aren't familiar with him looking him up, it's spelled with a W, but of course German W, normally pronounced as, as a V. It's interesting then that he's often quoted by, by Jewish scholars, especially of the last generation and before. This is what he said. Jesus was not a Christian. He was a Jew. He did not preach a new faith, but taught men to do the will of God in his opinion, as also in that of the Jews. The will of God was to be found in the law of Moses and in other books of Scripture. Jesus was not a Christian. He was a Jew. Well, of course it's true. There was no such thing as Christian at, at that time. Christian as a term is only used three times in the New Testament, and, and it, it comes some years after the Lord's resurrection, and it's first used in Antioch, where Gentiles and, and Jews are together believing in Jesus as Messiah. And it, and it could have predominantly identified the Gentiles, but it seems it's the way that all those first followers, Jew and Gentile alike, were being identified, and they were being identified as, as such probably in a derogatory way. In, in fact, in the ancient Greek world, the, the, the word Christos, uh, the, the equivalent of Messiah, in the ancient Greek world, unless you were a Jew, that word did not have a lot of, of meaning to you. It was taken as a title, as a name. Many thought it was Krestos. They got the name wrong. So these were the, the people identified with this Krestos character. And so Christian was just a way, of, it'd be like mocking someone who, who f- quote, followed me and calling them a brownite. Or, or mocking someone that's, that supported Ron Paul and calling him a Paulite or something like that. That's what it was. The, the word Christianity doesn't even become developed until the second century. And even the term Christian, which occurs in Acts 11, Acts 26, and 1 Peter 4, was not widely used as a self-designation 
by the believers. So to say Jesus was not a Christian, of course he was not. To say he founded Christianity, true and false. True in terms of the faith in Jesus as the Christ, as the Messiah, as the Son of God, comes from him. He is the founder, the pioneer, the author, and the finisher of our faith. In terms of Christianity as it developed through the centuries, no, 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 you're not going to blame a lot of those developments on Jesus. Uh, Shai Kohn uh, is a uh, Jewish professor. He's taught at Jewish Theological Seminary, Harvard University, Brown University, as far as I know. And, and he reminds us of how, Jesus, uh, of how Jewish Jesus was. Was Jesus a Jew? Of course Jesus was a Jew, he says. He was born of a Jewish mother in Galilee, a Jewish part of the world. All of his friends, associates, colleagues, disciples, all of them were Jews. He regularly worshipped in Jewish communal worship, what we call synagogue. He preached from Jewish texts from the Bible. He celebrated the Jewish festivals. He was born, lived, died, taught as a Jew. And then Professor Joseph Klausner, who began teaching at Hebrew University about 90 years ago, one of the early professors at Hebrew University, he wrote a book, Jesus of Nazareth, wrote it in Hebrew. So this is to be read by by fellow Jews. And uh, the book was controversial from a Christian viewpoint. In fact, the the Christian pastor and scholar who translated it into English came under a lot of flack for doing so. It's obviously not a book that Christians would be at home with in many ways, but but a book that was important for scholarship, was important because a Jew wrote it, and was important for many of the things it did say about Jesus. But this is what what Joseph Klausner wrote in his book, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus keeps the ceremonial laws like an observing Jew. He wears fringes, I'll come back to that in a little while, the, the, the ritual fringes the, fringes, the tassels required in Numbers and Deuteronomy. He goes up to Jerusalem to keep the Feast of Unleavened Bread. He celebrates the, the Seder, which is the traditional Passover meal. He blesses the bread and the unleavened cakes and breaks them and says the blessing over the wine. He dips the, the various uh, herbs into the haroset, which is a, a mixture of chopped nuts and apples, wine, spices that's eaten at the, the Passover Seder traditionally regarded as symbolic of the mortar used by Israelite slaves in Egypt. He drinks the four cups of wine, referring again to the Passover meal, and and he concludes with the Hallel, a prayer based on the Psalms. Now, were all of these things in in detail, the Herosid, for example, that particular part of the meal and place there? Perhaps some debate that. But what Klaus was saying was Jesus was a Jew of his time. There's no question about it. His issues were with some of the Jewish traditions, not with the law itself, because that was from his father. Yes, he was a Jew, a Jew of his time. He, he was born king of the Jews, and he died king of the Jews. But there's more. There's more to the story. He was also a rabbi. What does that mean? We're going to take that up in the next part of the broadcast. What would that mean in the first century of this era? And in what ways was he more than a rabbi? I want to ask every one of you who believes in what we're doing, who believes in our outreach to the Jewish people, who believes in the importance of equipping the body in this way and dealing with with false teaching about Israel as well and false views about the modern state of Israel. I'm appealing to every one of you to stand with us at this critical and wonderful time. Call us at 1-800-278-9978. Your financial gift is your way of saying we believe in what you're doing and we want to partner together 
reach Jewish people with the gospel and to make a difference in our world. 1-800-278-9978 or online, askdrbrown.org. Thanks for giving it today. The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Thank you so much for joining us today on this Thoroughly Jewish Thursday as we focus on Jesus, Yeshua, as a first century rabbi and more. won't be taking your calls, but I want to appeal to everyone listening who believes in this broadcast, and in particular, who believes in what we're doing in Jewish ministry, who recognizes the importance of it, wants to sow into it, wants to do exactly what Paul said in Romans 15 as he was ministering to Gentile believers and said, if you have been enriched spiritually by this Jewish heritage, in other words, the Jewish Messiah and these Jewish apostles and this Jewish work, if if you have been enriched spiritually, then certainly you can help financially. So that's our appeal to help us on this radio broadcast 1-800-278-9978, the number to call. You can call throughout the program or right after the program, 1-800-278-9978. Not to get on on the broadcast, but to sow into the broadcast. Do you have questions that come up from today's show? Well, we'll be taking your calls as always tomorrow, God willing. So please sow 1-800-278-9978 or online askdrbrown.org in case you just tuned in you haven't been listening this week every gift that comes in is being multiplied by a generous anonymous donor so this is a wonderful way to multiply your funds for jewish ministry to quickly review jesus was not a rabbi in the sense of a contemporary congregational rabbi number one number two jesus was not a rabbi in an officially ordained sense that did not exist in his day but Jesus Yeshua was called rabbi by his disciples, my master, my teacher. And it was a title for a popular leader, a popular teacher in that day who would have certain characteristics, would gather disciples around himself. In fact, I'll look at those characteristics in a moment. Now, Yeshua was much more than just a rabbi. Otherwise, we wouldn't be talking about him today and we wouldn't call him the savior of the world. But there is absolutely something very important foundationally that we must realize when we look at him as a rabbi. Now, it is true to say that he is the most famous rabbi that ever lived. Think of that. The most influential Jew and the most famous rabbi who ever lived. We must reclaim him and recognize him for who he is and who he was. When he returns, he's returning as the lion of the tribe of Judah. Yes, He still, as a man, maintains a certain identity. Chew on that one, right? Now, he often opposed traditions of his day. Many others he lived by, going to the synagogue. That was a pharisaical innovation, having synagogues instead of just the temple worship. He participated in those things. He did many things that other Jews would do and and as other Pharisees would do from what we could see in Scripture. And yet he had issue with some of the traditions. Some is reflected in the Dead Sea Scrolls. Some is reflected in the later rabbinic writings. And 
it was those traditions that he said made the word of God void. He, he talks about that, for example, in Mark, the seventh chapter. But his issue was not with the law of God, with the Torah of, of Moses given by his father uh, to Israel, really through his mediation. The, the fact is, he said he came to fulfill what was written in the Torah and the law and the prophets, to bring to fulfillment that which God had spoken of, uh, everything up to that point. So he lived as a Torah-observant Jew. What he rejected was often traditional application of it or wrong approaches to it or wrong, wrong ways of relating to it. So he also would have looked the part, and we saw Joseph Klausner from Hebrew University almost 100 years ago talked about Jesus wearing ritual fringes. These were required by the law of Moses, the tassels, the fringes, the, this uh, deep blue, purple, bluish color that, that would mark the people of Israel out. That was actually a, uh, what, what royalty would wear then because it came from a, a particular snail called the chilazon, and it was a very expensive dye. Ultimately, when the Jewish people were unable to obtain the dye, anymore. Sometime after, in centuries after the time of Jesus, they decided that they would just have fringes that were white because in, in their view, in their tradition, it had to be this particular dye or they couldn't have the color at all. That's why you'll see traditional Jews with these fringes. They, they have the undergarment, like an undershirt that's, that, that has this, uh, the fringes on them because they don't wear the old Middle Eastern clothing anymore. So those hang out from the side of their pants, from their shirt. Why? It's to look at them and remember the commandments of God. That's why God gave it Numbers 15, Deuteronomy chapter 22. Jesus wore those. His clothes have those. How do we know? Well, we know because the Greek word, when the Torah was being translated into Greek, what's called the Septuagint, a couple hundred years before the time of Jesus, the Greek word that was used for fringe, tassel, was the word krospadon in Greek. And that's the word that's used in the New Testament where, it, where Jesus rebukes uh, some of the hypocritical religious leaders for making the tassels really long. They wanted to put on an outward show and demonstrate how spiritual they were. That's the word that's used. It's also the word that's used when, when people touch, quote, the hem of his garment and were healed, it better not to translate with hem, as many modern translations recognize, but with fringe. And you realize that's, that's hanging out even a little further. Even if I just touch that, I can be healed. That is how Jesus, Yeshua, looked. What about him being called rabbi? Well, we'll look at some of the supernatural associations with him being called rabbi, but look at this. Nicodemus, Nachdemon in, in Hebrew, ruler of the Jews, John chapter 3. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nachdemon, Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Hmm. No one can do the signs you do unless God is with him. So he is different. He is a miracle worker of an unusual caliber. Therefore, God must be with him. But So how does Nicodemus address him? How does Nachdemon address him? Rabbi, because that would be the term of respect for a Jewish teacher, Jewish leader that gathered disciples around himself. So what are some of the things a first century Jewish rabbi would do? Well, he'd gather together a group of disciples, Students in, in Hebrew, it's Talmudim, these, these devoted uh, learners that, that would follow him. Uh, 
A first century rabbi would instruct his disciples in God's word, offer his interpretations. A first century rabbi would encourage his disciples to acts of piety and devotion. A first century rabbi would make legal pronouncements or, or settle legal disputes. These are some of the things that Jesus Yeshua did. I, I, I want to open them up a little bit more in the next half hour, but for those that, that are going to be uh, leaving me in a few minutes or getting out of your car, I wanted to at least go through this list. But in many, many, many different ways, Jesus was more than a rabbi, and I want to focus on that as well. Remember Paul wrote to the Romans that the gospel is the power of God to salvation. It's for everyone, yes, but it's first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. First and foremost, a message to the Jewish people about their Messiah, and because he's the Messiah of Israel, therefore the Savior of the world. And, and, and Paul said he was a debtor to bring the gospel to all people. Yes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. Can I ask every one of you who listens to this broadcast and has derived benefit from it to stand with us and help us go to the Jew first? 1-800-278-9978 or online askdrbrown.org. One more time, that's 1-800-278-9978. Call today, stand with us, help us do what God has called us to do. Hey friends, we won't be taking calls today. Sit back and enjoy this pre-recorded show. It's The Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Get into the line of fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Thank you so much for joining us today on the line of fire. Michael Brown, delighted to be with you on this Thursday, Thoroughly Jewish Thursday. Our focus is on Rabbi Jesus. Jesus Yeshua, the first person in recorded history to be called rabbi according to the historical documents of which i am aware the first one to be called rabbi chronologically his older cousin john john the baptist better known as john the immerser some call him yochanan the immerser to underscore his jewishness some yochanan hamat beel turned the whole thing into hebrew but he was called rabbi chronologically before jesus but in terms of the documents jesus called rabbi first he's the one that's first mentioned as such there was not formal ordination of rabbis at that time that that came a generation plus after that but there was recognition of gifted teachers that would gather disciples around them jesus was called rabbi i'm not taking your phone calls today but write down this number and i'm asking you to stand with us by calling this number through the broadcast and sowing into our ministry work holding our hands up each of you making a financial gift to help us meet our radio obligations and even give us potential to expand into more stations as we meet our obligations and again a generous donor if you haven't heard this is is multiplying all the funds that come in a hundred dollars becomes 150 so it's a very unique season for us the most critical in our radio history so far so thanks for joining us 1-800-278-9978 1-800-278-9978 if you're listening to the whole broadcast right through I, I make the announcement several times just because most people don't have the luxury of listening to the whole hour you're in the car for a few minutes you get a chance to tune in so want to make sure everyone can part line to our homepage and donate askdrbrown.org ask drbrown.org in 
Jesus was not a rabbi like a modern congregational rabbi. So what would a first century rabbi do? He'd gather Ptolemydim, disciples, devoted students. He'd gather them around himself. Remember, the Great Commission is for the disciples, the Ptolemydim, to go into all the world and make people into Ptolemydim, make them into disciples that will follow Jesus, rabbi, teacher, Lord. Now, of course, when Jesus died and rose from the dead, their recognition of who he was, the disciples' recognition of who he was, expanded massively, of course. But they followed him in a reverential way as teacher, as rabbi, and even recognized him as son of God. Jesus taught, Matthew ten twenty four a disciple uh, is not above his teacher nor a servant above his master. It's enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. So what would first century rabbi do? Well, he'd instruct his disciples in God's word. First, he'd gather disciples around himself. One of the most famous sayings in the, in the Mishnah, early rabbinic tradition, put in writing about 200 years after the time of Jesus is to make many disciples. And as Messianic Jewish scholar David Stern noted, teachers both itinerant like Yeshua and settled ones attracted followers who wholeheartedly gave themselves over to their teachers, though not in a mindless way as happens today in some cults. The essence of the relationship was one of trust in every area of living and its goal was to make the Talmud like his rabbi in knowledge, wisdom, and ethical behavior. So he gathered disciples around himself. And then what else would he do? A first century rabbi would instruct his disciples in God's word and offer his interpretations. And and we know, in fact, that that Jesus was constantly teaching that uh, when Matthew records his, his activities, Matthew 4, Matthew 9, he sums it up as saying, teaching, in the synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every sickness and disease. And throughout the New Testament, uh, well over 40 times, Jesus is quoting scripture. Jesus is interpreting scripture. Yeshua is telling us what the word really means and opening up, just like a first century rabbi would do. All right, we're going to keep developing this and then show you the ways that, that he distinguished himself from any other rabbi who lived. Today's the day to sow into what we're doing. Help us in Jewish ministry. one 800 Two seven eight nine nine seven eight. It's the Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Thanks for joining us, friends, on the Line of Fire broadcast. Michael Brown, so glad to be with you on this Thursday. Please write this number down. I'm not taking phone calls, but this is the number to call to stand with us at a critical time in our ministry, at a real crossroads as we meet radio obligations and have the opportunity, as as we do, to continue to expand into more cities across America. And we have a generous donor, an anonymous friend of a friend who wants to sow into what we're doing and will multiply every gift that comes in. So please call one 800 Two seven eight nine nine seven eight. Yeah, I'm, I'm talking to you. Exactly. Yes. If you believe in this broadcast, believe in what we're doing, know the importance of it. Get behind us. Would you do that? And pastors, put us on your missions budget. How much are you sowing into Jewish ministry? How much are you sowing into Jewish outreach? How much are you sowing into the kind of things that we do? Just just in terms of Jewish ministry and outreach. Put us on your mission budget. Sure. One eight hundred two seven eight. 
800-278-9978. One-time gift, monthly torchbearers. Join us, 1-800-278-9978, or donate online, askdrbrown.org. Jesus, Yeshua, the rabbi. He's often called rabbi in the New Testament, yet he was more than just a first-century rabbi. Uh, Professor Gezer Vermesh, one of the world authorities on the Dead Sea Scrolls, professor for many years at Oxford University, and the author of, what, five books at least on Jesus, he pointed out that the Bible played a fundamental part in the religious and literary creativity of the Jews in the intertestamental era, by which he means the period from roughly 200 B.C. to 200 A.D., with the career of Jesus falling almost exactly in the middle. And Vermesh notes that in their teaching and interpretive activity, Jewish masters, Jewish teachers, made use of the Bible, their holy scripture, in simple and complex ways. And he lays out five main types of scripture interpretation that were found in the entire gamut of Jewish literature of that day. So the different Jewish literature, be it Dead Sea Scrolls, be it a, a book like what's called Jubilees, be it the earliest development of the rabbinic literature. They had numerous different ways of interpretation. And he has five main categories and finds that four out of the five categories are found in the Synoptic Gospels. Four out of the five categories are found by Jesus or the authors of, of Matthew, Mark, Luke. Fascinating. Well, that's what a rabbi teacher of the day would do. Uh, there's there's a, a midrash, a rabbinic saying Our rabbis say, let not the parable be lightly esteemed in your eyes, since by means of the parable, a man can master the words of the Torah. Jesus taught in parables all the time, did he not? That was typical for rabbi teachers of the day. A first century rabbi would encourage his disciples to to acts of piety and devotion. And Jesus constantly did that, constantly urging them to, to minister to the poor, to the hurting, to the needy, as well as to live godly lives. And, and a first century rabbi would make legal pronouncements or settle legal disputes. As I've been asking you to be praying for me, covenanting together with me in prayer uh, for this Jewish outreach project I'm working on, the most important Jewish outreach book that I have written, and, and one that I believe is going to be wonderfully used by the Lord to get into the hands of many, many Jewish people. I'm going to be sharing more about that with you very, very soon. Trust me, as soon as I can share more, I will. As I'm asking you to pray for me, because I've just got, oh, less than 10 days to complete the manuscript so we can get it out in an extraordinarily timely way. The whole story is, is somewhat miraculous, which I'll share with you. But I've got the, one of the chapters in, in this book is going to talk about Rabbi Jesus and yet how he was far more than a rabbi. So, so everything I'm getting into here in far greater depth in a very enjoyable way you'll find in the book. First century rabbi would make legal pronouncements or settle legal disputes. That's why the different Jewish teachers of the day came to Jesus and said, well, where do you stand on this? Where do you stand on divorce? Now, some were trying to trap him. We understand that. And, and when some Pharisees came and asked him his views, some look at that as if he was on the outside and hostile to the Pharisees. Others look at it that, that he was a Pharisee and there were different Pharisee groups and where did he stand? But in either case, it, it was expected that he would say where he stood. And in certain ways, he did go ahead and make legal pronouncements, say, okay, here's where I stand on divorce. Here's where I stand on this issue. This is now how you have to live. But that being said, Jesus stands out from every rabbi who ever lived. It's a mistake 
to just multiply parallels and say, well, you see, Jesus is, is first century Jews believe this, Jesus taught this, rabbis did this, Jesus did this. I, I do it. I, 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 I have massive commentaries in my library that deal with these issues and give the Jewish background to the New Testament, and it's important, it's essential, and it's foundational, but that background just underscores how unique Jesus was, how he stood out. That's why we're talking about that rabbi. And, and not another rabbi. That's why uh, most all the world, the vast, vast majority of human beings on the world, in the world know the name of this rabbi Jesus, Rabbi Yeshua, but they don't know the name of Rabbi Akiva. Or they don't know the name of Hillel, who is a, an older contemporary of Jesus. What makes him so unique? How does he stand out from every rabbi who ever lived? Uh, let me Let me give you at least five different aspects, five different ways where Jesus Yeshua, Rabbi Jesus Yeshua, stood out from every rabbi who ever lived. Again, the number to call, not to get on the air, you can call with your questions tomorrow if you want to follow up on today's broadcast, by all means. The number to call, to stand with us, to sow into this ministry, and and look, we need to bring in uh, many tens of thousands of dollars, but it's not a lot of money to the Lord and it's not a lot of money if each one listening says, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll stand with you. If everyone does what they can, large or small, we'll meet our obligations and be able to move ahead into further expansion. 1-800-278-9978. 1-800-278-9978 online. AskDrBrown.org. Come on, just think if I was not here speaking these things to you now. Where, think of how empty your life would be. Think of the difference we're making. But, but in all seriousness, by God's grace, we are making a difference. And it, it thrills my heart when we hear from Jewish people who have come to faith through our materials, through our website. And when I know that Jewish people who do not believe in Jesus listen to this broadcast. Okay, one thing that was unique about Rabbi Jesus, Rabbi Yeshua, beyond what a normal rabbi would do. He really reached out to the marginalized and the disenfranchised. He, he was constantly criticized for hanging out with the sinners. Well, not sinning with them, not partying with them, but hanging out with them, eating and drinking with them, having meals together. The, the notorious tax collectors who were really corrupt, the, 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 the prostitutes, but, but, what happened when he was with them? Many in the gay and lesbian community point to Jesus and say he was inclusive, and you should be inclusive. Jesus hung out with these people, yes, but he did not practice what I call affirmational inclusion. He didn't affirm people where they were. He met them where they were and transformed them. I call it transformational inclusion. That's the kind of inclusion we need to practice. So Zacchaeus, Notorious corrupt tax collector. Jesus calls him by name, obviously revealed to him by the Lord, unless somehow he knew him, we assume. Calls him by name, by revelation. He, he, I'm going to eat at your house. He's going to eat at his house? He, guy's a sinner. You don't, he's a, you're a holy man. You don't, oh, no, no. He's a different kind of holy man. He brought his holiness into that sinful environment, and Zacchaeus instantly repented and was a changed man. What a rabbi. Not your everyday first century rabbi. In fact, he reached out so much to the marginalized, to the disenfranchised, that he depicted himself as the great shepherd of the sheep, the shepherd who would lay down his life for the sheep and then give them eternal life and they'd never perish and no one could pluck him out of his hands. Not your average first century Jewish rabbi. Number two, Rabbi Jesus 
was a miracle worker like no other rabbi. Rabbi Jesus was a miracle worker like no other rabbi. Some of the miracles he worked were parallel to miracles that the Old Testament prophets worked, like Elisha feeding a crowd, but Jesus did it in ways that massively exceeded what went before. <clears throat> and then there were some rabbis in the, the following generations that were known as miracle workers in the Jewish community, but, but none could light a candle to Rabbi Jesus, the miracle worker. Now, you say, why do you bring that up in terms of being a rabbi? Because he's often called rabbi in contexts where miracles are worked. For, for example, blind Bartimaeus. Jesus calls him out. What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man says, Rabbi, I want to see. Not Rabbi, I want to learn. Of course, rabbis were teachers, but Rabbi, I want to see. Before he goes to raise Lazarus from the dead, one of his disciples addresses him as Rabbi. After he curses the fig tree, his disciples call him Rabbi. And after he walks on the water in John 6, meets his disciples in a boat in the midst of the storm, they're instantly on the other side. When people meet up with them the next day, what do they say? Rabbi. How did you get her? Oh, a different rabbi. <laughs> this is one that stands out from first century rabbis. Friends, just got a moment now, and then we'll be back with more. Please call right now, 1-800-278-9978. 1-800-278-9978. Your donation will immediately be multiplied by an anonymous donor. So stand with us today or go online, askdrbrown.org. It's The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Uh, You know, this is very interesting. Normally, when I'm looking at the clock, I'm thinking, oh, man, we're almost out of time. Well, I I feel like that, but I feel like we've got a lot of good content in uh, uh, more than we can normally get in the course of an hour because we are not taking any calls. We haven't taken calls today. But anything I say today, friends, that prompts a question, you can always write to us through the website, org. You can get into a discussion on our radio blog, org. Click on the line of fire or... Or you can call tomorrow, Friday. You've got questions, we've got answers. Why not make your question something that relates to today's broadcast? But here is the number to call. If you haven't called yet, please do. It's your next opportunity. Okay, you don't want to miss a word of what I'm saying. I'm honored by that. So call the moment the broadcast is over. 1-800-278-9978. 1-800-278-9978. And stand with us, so into our ministry. Look at it like you went into a restaurant, enjoyed a meal, and, and now you pay for the meal. Well, this is your way of saying, hey, I, I, I want to stand with you. And if you think the amount of broadcasting we do, the amount that we sow into you, and the amount that the average listener will actually give, it's like kind of going to a restaurant for a year and paying one time for most. So would you all stand with us? 1-800-278-9978. I remind you one last time that every gift that comes in now is being multiplied by an anonymous donor. So it is an awesome time to help us, especially if you believe in what we're doing in Jewish ministry. So we've shown how Jesus was a first century Jewish rabbi, but more. He 
He reached out to the marginalized and, and the disenfranchised. He was a miracle worker like no other and often called rabbi in the context of working his miracles. He, he pointed to a new and better approach to the Torah. Uh, on a number of occasions in the Gospels, Jesus healed a sick person on the Sabbath. That caused a lot of controversy. Why couldn't he heal on another day? I mean, it's not a life-threatening situation. Isn't he doing work on the Sabbath? And, and he actually said that some of the Jewish teachers were making the word of God void through their traditions. And what we see is Judaism takes the Sabbath so seriously. It's often been said that the, the Jewish people didn't keep the Sabbath as much as the Sabbath kept the Jewish people. That's how important it's been in Judaism. So I respect the fact that the rabbis have recognized the importance of it, but with a typical rabbinic thought process, the simple commandment not to do any work had to be broken down into 39 subdivisions and then those into further categories that ends up in an unbelievably complex series of laws and what is work and what isn't work. And, and a rabbinic Jew would tell you it's wonderful, the holiness is found in the details. Others would say it's binding, constricting, and it's certainly not what God intended when he gave the command to do no work on the Sabbath. It's interesting that, that Jesus basically reduces it to a few simple principles. As my Messianic Jewish friend who wrote the book, Who Ate Lunch with Abraham, Asher Intrader is on with us a few weeks ago. He said, Yeshua also spoke of the Sabbath. In Judaism, we've developed mountains of halachic rules. It's, that's legal rulings about what to do and not do on the Sabbath. Yeshua believed that such a compendium of added ritual laws diminished the ability to observe the Sabbath in the way it had originally been intended. He summarized his approach to dealing with Sabbath laws in three simple statements. The Sabbath was made for mankind, not mankind for the Sabbath. The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. It is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. So, he was not suggesting law, he was setting law. And he then says, those are the words of Austrian trader. And then Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary, burden, I'll give you rest. There's a Sabbath rest, a deeper rest that's found in him. So, so Jesus went beyond, Jesus went beyond the first century rabbis and pointed to a new and better approach to Torah. And, and he also spoke with authority. He spoke with authority, and that caused him to stand out from everyone else. It was unusual to hear a teacher teach the way he did. Where did he get this authority from? Uh, another thing that sets Rabbi Jesus apart from other first century rabbis is that he was a king. He was a king. He was born king of the Jews, and he died king of the Jews, and, and and there could have been anything written about him, any kind of malfactor uh, inscription written about him when he hung on the cross. He, he was crucified as if he was in rebellion against Rome. Those were the accusations that came against him. He, he, he's, he's king with a kingdom. They, they could have just made him into some malfactor, but instead, in a way to, to mock, to show this is what happens to the king of the Jews and to show, yeah, you're king, that, that, that was written Oh, over, over him, and, and, and when he was crucified, in three languages, in, in Hebrew, Latin, and Greek, Jesus, the king of the Jews, he was not just a rabbi, he was also king of the Jews. And, and, and number five, and all this material in a really edifying, eye-opening, in-depth way uh, is, is being completed now in this book that I'm asking you to pray for as I write 
Rabbi Jesus, Rabbi Yeshua, was, was also a prophet. A Jewish gospel scholar, Claude G. Montefiore, wrote this many years ago. He said, we do, I think, know enough about the great rabbis of the first century A.D. to say that however fine and noble their teaching may have been or was, it cannot properly be called prophetic. They were not called prophets, and they could not properly have been called so. So what exactly did he mean? Montefiore said, however much they recognized that at bottom, the Pentateuchal laws of morality were greater than its laws about sacrifice or clean and unclean. They could not, they did not deal with the subject in the same way and spirit as Jesus. Hillel, an older Jewish contemporary of Jesus, a Pharisee. Hillel was ever the servant of the law, Montefiore says, and never its judge. In a sense, he was more consistent than Jesus, but for that very reason, he was less prophetic. Sabbath conflicts such as happened to Jesus could not have happened to him. That is why, or that is one why, the production of parallels from the teaching of Hillel with the teaching of Jesus is mostly futile. The spirit is different. The prophetic touch is present in the one case and absent in the other, and it is the prophetic touch which makes the difference. And, and Rabbi Professor Dan Cohn-Sherbach recognized that it's the prophetic element in the life of Jesus that helps to explain the very real conflicts he did have with other religious leaders. Sherbach wrote, Cohn Sherbach writes, his attack on the scribes and Pharisees can be seen not as a rejection of the Torah, but as a prophetic renunciation of a corrupt religious establishment. Yes, Rabbi Jesus, miracle worker, king of the Jews, reaching out to the marginalized, disenfranchised, speaking with authority, giving a new and better approach to the Torah and the greatest prophet in Israel's history. <laughs> Those are just some of the reasons why we still talk about this rabbi today. All right, I'm out of time. Uh, I want to give you a heartfelt appeal from someone that many of you now consider a friend through this radio broadcast. Stand with me. Hold my hands up. Say we believe in what you're doing and we want to make a difference. Here's the number to call, 1-800-278-9978. one 800 Two seven eight nine nine seven eight, or go online askdrbrown.org click on support one last time 1-800-278-9978 all your gifts are multiplied as they come in through an anonymous donor my bottom line Jesus yes for sure was a first century Jewish rabbi but all the more he was greater than a rabbi who ever lived set apart forever <laughs>